First point, healthy churches confront and correct false teachers and false teaching. You see that in verse 10 and 11, right, of of Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read it again. I want you to look at it. I want you to listen, and we'll just unpack it from there. For, all right, this word matters. You're like, it's just just three letters, dude. But it's because. This is, this is why the letter was written. So, so you got to see this, right? Here's why you've got to appoint elders. This is why you've got to straighten out things, Titus. Because, now listen, he says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision party. Sounds like no party I want to be a part of. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. All right, that's our first point. Let's look at it. We see from our text today that in order for a church to be healthy, when I say church, I mean the family of God, right? So the people that he's gathering that are under good biblical eldership, leadership, for them to be healthy, there's a truth that leads to godliness, and that truth is shown in the way that we love. But in order for that to happen, you must have elders or pastors who are willing to confront false teachers and false teaching. That's what he's saying right here. This is why we need them. There there are many, by the way, who have a romanticized view of pastoral ministries. They really are. They they, they think that everything's just squeaky clean and comfy, and they're just the the most sweet. They're sweetie pies, right? They just sit around. They sip tea. They talk to little old ladies who imagine that this was the grandson I always wanted, right? Um, There might be a part of that. They just read books. But that's, that's not... That's not real-life pastoral ministries. It's it's much more grimy than that. Um, Most never see the confrontational side of ministry. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because what we don't want to do is just highlight all these things. But I quoted a man last week. He's a reformer. His name's John Calvin. And here's what he said. And I'm going to read the quote again, because it so fits into what we're talking about today. He says, a pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering sheep, and another for warding off or driving away wolves and thieves. So if a pastor's just a big old sweetie pie who never actually stands up for truth, that, that shepherd, that, that, he's putting the flock in danger. But, but the opposite's true also. I mean, if he doesn't have a tender voice who just wants to call the sheep to just respond to the good news of Jesus, who, who has a tender heart, even though he might have thick skin like a rhino, that guy's going to be angry all the time, and the sheep are always just going to be kind of walking around, very timid, afraid to make a mistake because they might get whacked upside the head. Now, you've got to know the difference. I had to learn this very quickly in my first few months of, of pastoral ministries, which full-time was like 10 years ago. And we planted a church, or should I say the Lord planted a church through our efforts in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Many of you have been there, many of you know that. And it didn't take long for people just to come out of the woodworks. And they all looked so kind and so lovingly. But not all of them was that the case. I knew that, by the way. I knew that intellectually. I knew that because the Word says it. Jesus said, in Matthew 7, 15, He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Meaning, they just look like sweetie pies. They probably have Werther's Original in their hand. They'll give you one, right? They'll invite you over for crumpets afterwards. They're kind. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. 
Ever met that person? That's terrifying. That's terrifying. You're like, oh, he can't be a false teacher. He's so sweet. Maybe. Maybe he is sweet. How will we know? Well, we'll keep listening. But then Paul also told the Ephesian elders before he left that church, here, listen to the words he says. And he says these to the elders, right? And it's in Acts 20, 28 through 30. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. First and foremost, elders. And, and this goes for everybody. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to what you believe. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to the things you do. Why? And to all the flock. He's saying, elders, pay attention to yourself, pay attention to your life, pay attention to your marriage, pay attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, those who are cared to care for their souls, to care for the church of God, which, he says, he, Jesus, obtained with his own blood. He says, because I know this, after my departure, Paul's saying, after I leave, soon as I leave, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. So I knew it. I knew it intellectually. I knew it theologically. I just didn't expect it. You know what I mean? Like, almost all my analogies are, are going to come from a sports perspective. But, like, if you ever, like, whatever sport you're into, right, like, you could read all day long how to play baseball. You could even watch, let's say, YouTube like tutorials, how to hold the bat, how to swing the bat, how to catch the ball, how to throw the ball, how to hold the ball, all the different things. And you can learn from that, and maybe you should, but if you've ever done any sport, you know what, until you pick up a bat, you just don't know. Until you've got an 80-mile-an-hour fastball coming towards your head, you don't know how to get out of the way. You might be able to study it and say it in Greek, but you're going to get hit in the head a couple times. And that was my experience. I just was not expecting. And don't picture like they had wolves everywhere. We didn't. We didn't. But we definitely had people who came in and they wanted to draw people away. That's why it's so important to have elders, pastors, not one man. We have one chief shepherd. His name's Jesus. We have under shepherds. Currently, it's Kevin and I. But there are people within this church gathering who know the word just as well as us. And they're helping to shepherd that flock right? Don't ever think it's just us. We don't have a professional church where you have professional guys, and you're like, well, that's true. Good, because there are no professionals in ministry. It's such an illusion that I hope we all can just work through and, and spit that out. But notice, Paul tells Titus to have zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy when it comes to false teachers and their teaching. Look at how he says it again. He says they're insubordinate, What's that mean? Just rebellious by nature. Boy, you just know it. They're empty talkers. They use tons and tons of big words, but there's zero substance to anything they actually say, right? They tell you the 50 ways to have your best life now, and they know none of it works because they're not having their best life now, but they just keep on just saying all these pithy little statements, and they're so quotable. You'll see them. They'll come up on Facebook today. There it is, and it says nothing. Like, for instance, love is love. Ooh, that's profound. What the heck does that even mean? Like, like, like bacon's bacon. Thanks. <laughs> right? There's, but they'll use big words and everybody go, wow, he's so smart. Who cares? They're empty talkers. Lots of words, no substance. They're deceivers. They're not only deceived in themselves, but they actually deceive others. False teachers, listen, never want to be under authority. 
They want to be authority. And they speak with authority. And they want you to know it. They don't want you to know the word. They want you to know that what they know is true. They don't want to teach you the Bible. They want you to know, I know the Bible, therefore you don't need to know the Bible. Trust me. They don't want to be under authority. They want to be the authority. Now, here's the tricky thing. When we read this, we think they'd be so easy to spot because they're horrible, right? Well, you're right in one assessment. They are horrible, but you're wrong in another assessment. They're not easy to spot. It takes time. Many times, false teachers are extremely personable. They are persuasive. They are, man, they're attractive. And I don't just mean outwardly, although they probably have a beautiful, pearly white smile. Um, they're ambitious. They are leaders, but they just lead people to destruction. That's where they're leading them. What they teach is always just off center. It's just, it almost sounds right. That's why you have to know the word. Gosh, do you have to know the word. And I would say even more than ever before, because it isn't just false teachers come into a gathering like this now. They come in through many avenues. They come through podcasts. They th come through radio. They come through books. We've talked about it before, but I'm actually thankful that the Christian Junk Bookstore actually has closed down. And you're like, is he a pastor? I actually am. The reason I'm thankful is because I know marketing because I was in business for 19 years and they got to make money. And in order to make money, you got to have books people want. And not everybody wants books that are about sound doctrine. It's like, oh, give me that one. No, they want the ones that says, wash your face and get up and pick up your life and have a great one. Right. And and many times they're just off center. They sound right, but they're off. They, they use the word, but they twist the word for their own gain is what it says. And, and here's the thing. Often you'll see this, but here's what you need to know. Elders, remember we talked about this last week. They exist for the benefit of the church. We work with you for your faith in the joy, right? For your faith in Christ, for your joy in Jesus. That's why we exist. We are here to serve. Jesus said, I came, I came not to be served. But to serve, to give my life as a ransom, under shepherds ought to look the same, but false teachers, actually, that's not the case. What they really want, they, they don't love you. They love themselves. They love themselves. They use the church to get what they want. They abuse the church to get what they want. What do they want? Generally, money, power, respect. That's what they want. And I would even go as far as say sex, because in First in Peter, he talks about that, that, that the women in the church are more vulnerable, and they go after them. They just want what they want. So how should elders and pastors respond? Not passively. Not passively. Paul says to Titus, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. No more talking. Paul was not messing around here. We must not mess around here. He's literally saying that these, and you'll see it as we go to the next portion of the text, these wild beasts, they must be muzzled. That's actually what the word means when he says silenced. Put a muzzle on them. They're dangerous. What they're doing is dangerous, right? They're, they're upsetting whole families. What they're teaching, it's dangerous, right? You've all heard the little, the little phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, well, that's just, that's, that's wrong. I guarantee if I sat down long enough with any of you and we've had conversations, you would share words that, that did stick to you, that they did wound you and they still haunt you back here. 
They might have come from mom. They might have come from dad. They might have come from a sibling. They might have come from grandparents. They might have come from so-called friends. And maybe they were friends because we've all said things that have hurt people. But they stick. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about things that hurt your feelings. He's talking about these words lead to destruction. Real destruction. Eternal destruction. That's how serious it is. Do we think about it that way? Or do we entertain false teachers? Do we just listen to them? Because, eh, you know, they're funny. You know, like, there are people that do this. There are well-meaning Christians who have a real problem with this aspect of pastoral ministries. Do you know what I mean? They, th- they don't think it's becoming of a man. Let me tell you, I was at a dinner one night, and I'm always this guy. That's why I don't get invited to a lot of dinners, but it saves me money on gift cards. So... We're there, and, and it was like, and, and people were just talking, and then there's this one lady who's in our family, and I love her, man. I, I deeply love this woman, but she loves to entertain all sorts of teachings in the world, and she would say, I'm a Jesus-loving, Jesus-following woman. Let's just say she is, okay? But she's not connected to a church body, and so she listens to all the people in all the world, and she starts talking about this one guy in particular that she really likes, Now I know the guy, and I'm not going to say anything because this is... I'll talk to her at one-off, right? And, and, but no, she keeps going, and there's people from our church there, and now she keeps going, and she's saying, you got to check out this guy's podcast. I'm like, oh my goodness, my head's going to explode, and if you hang out with me long enough, you know I have a vein that comes out right around here, and it's not good, and so I, and my wife's like holding my hand. She's like, right? And, and I just asked a very open-ended question, and what was amazing to me is this woman knows I love her. We, and, and we just spent Thanksgiving and Christmas together. She knows I love her. She knows I'm for her. But she looked at me and she was done with me for a year because I touched on a guy who she doesn't even know. And when she dies, that guy's not going to be at her funeral. But I'll be there. When she's sick on a hospital bed, that guy, won't, he won't even know. But I'll be there to pray for her. We do this because some guy is dynamic at communicating. We'll entertain poisonous thinking, poisonous teaching. Why? Because he's funny or she's funny. And we must not. We must not. Many wrongly think it's very unbecoming of a pastor to call out false teaching and call out false teachers. They think that a pastor ought to be full of like sugar and spice and all things nice, as though like we're some fluffy donut. There are guys out there like that. They won't call it out. But is that most loving? It's what I want you always to come back to. Is that most loving to the church? Is that most loving to the family? Well, let me say it another way. What if you went to a doctor and you just had a little gangrene in your finger? It's not a big deal. It's just a finger. And the, the doctor does a little test and he finds out you got gangrene in your finger. And they're like, oh, okay, that's not good. But hey, We'll give you a little ointment, and it'll probably go away. Oh, thanks. I thought it was going to have to have surgery. No, that would hurt. No, that would hurt, and, and I don't want to hurt you. So just go home, put the ointment on. Now you have gangrene in your arm. Now you have gangrene in your upper torso, and eventually you either get your arm lopped off or you die. Now was that kind of the doctor? I hope you all say no. 
right? Not a trick question, right? Maybe you need another analogy. What if you had a wild beast of a dog in the neighborhood and you're like pro-dog, like you like dogs more than humans. I had a lady that told me that one time and my head almost exploded again, right? She's like, I would walk across the street and even I would cross the street and let all the humans in that street die to save one dog. And I'm like, that's demonic thinking. That's insanity because that dog's not made in the image of God and every human you stepped over is. So now let's say you have, you're a big dog lover and you have a crazy wild dog that's in the neighborhood and he just likes to chew on children. Is it kind to everyone involved to muzzle that dog and probably put it down? It sure is. That's the most loving thing to do. Well, little Spot doesn't like it. Too bad. Too bad. I mean, I'm using a silly analogy, but this is what happens. We have to guard the gate, which leads to point two. Point two, and it's really, it's very much similar to point one, but we're going to break it down a little bit more. So look at it with me. Healthy churches confront and correct those who teach and embrace. And now we're going to get specific, because I think this is the teaching that they were going with, outside in religion. Like, what does that mean? Hang in there. Let's look at verses 12 through 16. Ready? He says, Paul says, one of the Cretans, right, one of the people from this island, a prophet of their own, okay, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> Let's just pause. That's funny, right? Because if you're picking up what he's saying down, Paul's so smart. He's not, he's not going to say Cretans are always liars, Cretans are evil beasts, Cretans are lazy gluttons. I know what I'll do. I'll find one of their own people who have said that, and I'll quote him, and I'll say, yep, that's accurate. That's <laughs> just what he did. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply. Why? So that they may be sound in the faith. And boy, it's interesting to wonder, what, who, who's the they? That's a good question. Um, I, would, I would put my stake in the ground, the church. Now, if the, if the false teachers become sound in their doctrine, that would be good. But it doesn't make sense in the context because it says that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. The false teachers have turned away from the truth. He's saying, I don't want the church to follow them. They may be sound in the faith. I want the church to stick close to the truth. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, listen, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul would definitely get canceled in our culture. You can't say that. I mean, if that was on a podcast, he's done. Like, Joe Rogan, you're, you're going out, so is this guy. Like, he's saying all these bad things. You can't say that. Paul's saying that, right? He's saying they profess to know God. This is why, by the way, and I listen to preachers and teachers who I don't know personally. I don't. But there is an inherent danger with that because you don't know who they are as character. They even might say true things, and they may literally be physically hurting their wife. And you're like, he's amazing. Maybe, because it's much more about character. It's much more about character. And we don't know the character of these people. You'll know the character of my family if you hang around. You'll know the character of Kevin's family if you hang around. Why? We'll invite you into our lives. We'll invite you into our home. Heck, Emily lived with us for six months. 
That was a journey, huh, girl? But she survived, and now she has her own apartment. But she got to see it. And it isn't that, like, everything's full of sugar spice and everything nice. No, when we blow it, we work through conflict. We work through conflict, but we seek to love. And when we blow it, we own it. We ask for forgiveness. We do the work of reconciliation in the home. Well, okay, I want to follow someone like that. Jesus, listen, he's saying that. Paul saying that. Titus is now saying that. We need people. We need men like that that will raise up people who will do that. That's what he's talking about. Paul certainly doesn't pull punches here because he knows the stakes are high. Throughout the whole chapter of Titus 1, there's been a contrast. And I actually want you to see it. So if you have your Bible, open them. If not, then listen to me, but pay attention. Here's the contrast. In verse 3, he says, by the command of God our Savior. The contrast, he says, in verse 14 is merely human commands. See the contrast? Here's another one. In verse 1, he says, there's a truth that leads to godliness. There's verse 14, he says, there are those who reject the truth. There's the contrast. Verse 2, he says, God, who does not lie? Verse 12, he says, Cretans are always liars. He then goes back to verse 1, he says, truth that leads to godliness, verse 1, but then verse 16, he says, their actions deny God. It doesn't lead to godliness. Their teaching leads to ungodliness. Tights rebuke them sharply. Just as a doctor cuts away at an infected toe that threatens the whole body, pastors must cut away at false teaching that affect and ultimately will destroy a church body. And when they don't, it hurts everyone. Not just the finger, not just the toe, but the whole body. So what is their infectious teaching? Well, it's actually not perfectly clear. We could draw some conclusions, and we will. But they're from the circumcision party. They're full of empty talk. What are they full about empty talk about? Jewish myths and the commands of people. I'd say it's not too big of a stretch to say that they're legalistic false teachers. It's probably the same type of people that Paul was dealing with throughout the book of Galatians. It, you, know, you know them. Um, it's those who teach, yes, Jesus, you become a Christian by trusting in Jesus. That's true. Oh, yes, Paul's so right. That's wonderful. But in order to stay a Christian, or at least to be, you know, a godly one, or at least to grow in Jesus, well, you know, you must be circumcised. You must read the King James only. You must, right? And they just give you laundry list after laundry list. You must listen to K-Love only. No more Pearl Jam. Go burn, no one even has CDs. How do you burn an MP3? I don't think you do. Um, right? No more Spotify. <laughs> I don't even know how this, this these, these things don't work anymore, right? The legalist says, I know, I, I know I'm doing what God wants in order to be pleasing to him. And you must do it this way too. Now, if that's a command from the Bible and from God, well, okay, we agree. But, but that's not what he's saying, because in verse 15, and this is really important, he says, to the pure, to those who are in Christ, all things are pure. All, and I, now, don't take this out of context and say, so that means we can do all sorts of debauchery. By the way, there's no way to make pornography pure. There, there's no way to make heroin pure. There's no, so that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying, in that context, they were saying, you can't eat pork. No, it's pure to be able to eat that, because that's not what defiles you. It's pure, okay? But, but then he says, 
to the defiled, to the unbelieving, nothing is pure. So even all your rules, even though you're not eating the pork and you're getting circumcised, you are not making yourself pure by doing these outward expressions of religion. You see it? They're talking about outside in. We, we, we do these things to then become good, to become right with God. And that's not at all the gospel. It, it appears that they're teaching if you wanted to be really godly, you should avoid alcohol. You may you maybe need to avoid alcohol if you're here. Don't, don't hear me wrong. But alcohol is not what makes you a sinner. You, you need to avoid luxurious food and only eat things that refuel you like a cow. Just go graze, but don't ever enjoy it. We don't actually want you to enjoy life. That's not true. God gave you these things to enjoy. Go and eat your lobster to the glory of God. Invite me. I'll come, right? <laughs> Filet mignon. Whatever you're into, right? Um, I mean, listen, you think this is strange, but as you read the whole totality of the New Testament, it's like, yes, have sex, but just don't enjoy it with your wife. It's only for making babies. It's insanity. He says, you think that that makes you a holy people. That's not the case. They believe and hold to a system of rules and regulation for achieving both salvation and spiritual growth. You do these things in order to become. You, you must do these things in order for God to approve you. Don't miss. Don't miss. That's not how most people think of generally false teaching. It's not. We think of false teaching being way more out of the ballpark than that. These people are not saying, hey, follow me. Turn down for what? You can do whatever you want. Grace, baby. Man, you can just like live it up. Now, that's false teaching too. But that's actually not what's happening here. And I'll be honest, that's not what primarily trips people up. Because most people who have just a basic understanding of the gospel and the Bible say, no, I know that ain't right. I know that ain't right. But the legalist, boy, we like it. Because we can say, look at me. But the gospel says, look at Jesus. See the difference? They're very strict religious people. They are not irreligious. Irreligious just means, hey, live however you want, right? They're religious. You must live this way in order for God to approve of you, right? They're not against the Bible. They're extra biblical. They love the Bible. They think it's so awesome. They should just keep writing, right? Like, they just take a text that's very clear that says this, and they say, no, let's add a bunch of other things. Does this at all sound familiar if you're familiar with the Bible? They were called Pharisees. And they just came in a new shape and a new size after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. But Jesus spoke of these guys. In Mark chapter 7, 6 through 8 and 14 through 23, he talks specifically about this outside-in religion. So I want you to listen as I read it. Jesus said to them, well did Isaiah prophesize of you hypocrites. He says, as it's written, this people honors me with their lips. Boy, they profess to know God, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. By the way, that's outside in religion. Your lips profess the right thing, but Tuesday night at the pub, that's not exactly the reality. Your heart's far from God. He says, your worship to me on Sunday morning is meaningless. (laughs) Ouch, Jesus. Right? They teach as doctrines of the commands of men. You leave the commandment of God, listen, and hold to the tradition of man. That's exactly what's happening in, in Titus. That's exactly what he's saying. Well, then Jesus goes on. 
Now I'm in verse 14 of Mark 7. He says, and he called the people to him again. Same context. And he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. Right? What's, what do we to understand, Jesus? I'm going to listen. I'm paying attention. There's nothing outside a person that by going into them can defile them. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house, because that, that was his teaching. Now, he enters the house and the people left, but his disciples are just hanging out with him. They asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you also without understanding? He's like, I just, I just said it. And do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters, now listen to the logic. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. I probably don't need to go into a great detail there. Like, you get what he's saying. Yes? Okay, good. Therefore, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person, out of their mouth, out of their life, is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within. They defile a person. See the difference? He says, outside in religion is like that. You you are basically, they think, a good person. You are clean. What makes you unclean is the dirt and the filth all out here. So we need to be like Amish people and live just on our little ranch and make sure that none of those influences come in. And Jesus is saying, that's insanity. He's saying, you're corrupt. You're the problem. Not everyone around you. That just brings out what's actually in you. And now I'm going to paint a, a picture that's not, it's kind of crude. I'm warning you. But religion's crude. But I want you to get this, because I think some of you still don't actually get what I'm trying to lay down. I think you get this. Um, So, I'll keep it PG-13, right? So you can handle this. But imagine if you had a piece of feces. I told you it's crude. And have you ever went and, and got like an ice cream sundae or a banana split, right? So they lay it in one of those little banana boats. I know this is terrible. It's horrible. I know. And you think... Is this even okay in church? Read Isaiah. He actually says something worse than what I'm about to say. You lay it there, and and it's gross. It's defiled. It's disgusting. It's nasty. But you put a little powdered sugar on it. Okay? Then you put a little ice cream around it. And you put a little bit of whipped cream on it. And you put some, let's say, crushed walnuts. And and now you put some crushed cherries and pineapple and all these. and, And your faces are making, I now know you're listening. You know it's gross, but to someone who just walked up to you, it's a little bit unknowing, sees that from a distance and says, man, it looks really good. I would love to have a banana split. Don't worry, I'm not going to take this too far. (laughs) You're like, you already did. Well, I'll never see you again. I hope you enjoy your next church. (laughs) And we're okay with that because this is who we are. But you see it and you're like, that looks good. But as you get closer, you know, something is, it's just off. It ain't right. You know, I won't go the whole way. You get the point. That's how false teaching is. That's how religion is. It's defiled, but you're trying to clean it up. You're trying to cover it up. You're trying to fix all that's wrong on the inside from outside. And that does not work. 
it just leads to pride or despair, right? If you've ever been there, you know. Pride because I'm the most amazing covered powdered sugar turd ever. Look at me. No one knows. They don't see it. They think I'm a real sweetie pie. Or despair. Because you're just like, man, I've tried to cover it up. But I'm a hot mess. And every time I get around people, they see it. That's religion. Religion always leads to pride. Look at me. I'm awesome. Despair. It doesn't work for me. And most often, religion works just like that. You go from pride. When you blow it, you go to despair. Now you got to go do all the outside things to make sure you feel better again. That's religion. That's gross. That's false teaching. That's what it is. It's God. Listen, it's so man-centered. Because you can point to you and all your achievements. But God-centered gospel is... I had no chance, but Jesus Christ died to save a sinner like me. Hallelujah, Jesus. That's, that's God-centered. That makes him look great, not you look great. Do you see the difference? One leads to humility. The other leads to the pride and the despair. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Because inwardly, that's not what they want. And eventually, the truth will show itself. You can hide for a while, but the closer you get to the community, we know you're a powder sugar turd. It's time to be born again. That's why people like big churches, because I can hide in them. And you all think I'm a good-looking Sunday. But man, in a real community, you're going to be messy. And that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to be there in your mess. It's not okay to stay there. But you might be there stumbling and fumbling for years. But you've got to have a community, and you have to have pastors who come around you and say, Here's the way out. Here's the truth. It will lead to godliness. Hang in there. I know you feel down, but I want you to know Jesus died for all the sins that you just struggled with this week, and he's going to die. He died for all the ones that you have yet to do this week. That's the gospel. It's inside out. You see the point? To rely on human commands for transformation is an absolute rejection of the truth of the gospel. It's a, it's a rejection. We're going to get to Titus 3 eventually, but Titus 3 says this, Jesus saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. If you're here and you're in Christ and you're born again, that was what Christ has done in your place for you on your behalf. It's not what you did. That's good news. Get this. We begin our walk with Jesus by grace. Weak in grace unmerited favor you didn't deserve it it's a gift to be received to be enjoyed to open up and just celebrate that right it's it's a gift we begin our walk by grace but then we continue to grow by grace sanctification is all of grace I'm not saying we don't play a part in it but it's a hundred percent God and it's a hundred percent our own effort but if God doesn't show up you're done it requires a miracle and God says in his word, he says, well, I'll do it. The, the, the good work that I began, I am faithful to bring it to completion. Does that mean we just do nothing? We're just like a little spiritual jellyfish just in the stream of the current of whatever? No, put in effort. But as a born-again person, you can. But you must be born again. The gospel is inside out. And that's our last point. Let's look at it. Point three says, healthy churches teach and embrace the inside-out gospel. Gospel means good news. Okay? 
If the problem was external, then it's within our power to fix it. You get it? You get what I'm saying here? However, that's not the case, and that's not why we embrace the gospel of grace. I'm going to move over here unless it messes up with, like, tech, and then you tell me. But that sun's, like, coming in, and I can't even see. So, I want us to look at one last text. It's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And and it's a big chunk of text. We're just going to work our way through it slowly. But I want, man, I've been praying all week in preparation that you might see the gospel as stunningly brilliant and beautiful and real as it absolutely is, even if you've been walking with Jesus for some time. Okay? Because we need to see it over and over. I want you to see our greatest problem is us and the wrath of God because of our sin and we had no hope apart from Jesus saving us and bringing about transformation from the inside out okay I think you'll see that if you don't see it in the text don't believe me but it's in here it's like prego so if you're struggling to see it let's sit down afterwards and let's work together but you should right now ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you see because he loves to illuminate truth to his people. He loves to illuminate truth to the people who don't even know they're his people yet. So ask for a tender, teachable heart and eyes to see because you will become what you adore. Get this. You will become what you adore. And if you adore Christ, you'll be more like him. But that, because that's the truth that leads to godliness. See that? You see the difference. It's not a set of rules. It's truth. It's truth that leads to godliness. Well, here's the truth. And you, talking to the church, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all. By the way, how many people here know Greek? Me neither. But I know people who know Greek. And this was written in Greek. And guess what the word all means in Greek? All. A shocker, right? Yeah, it means all. Well, let's, this is what he said again. Among whom we all, underline, highlight, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of God. Eh, That's not what it says. Children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Okay, get it? There are no good people. (laughs) This is depressing. I mean, Jesus... He's perfectly good. He left heaven. He stepped down. He put on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood to live among us. He's perfect. The rest of us, eh, not so much. You might be a more dressed up powdered sugar turd, but you're just as rotten as the rest of us. You may have grown up in a home where they taught you moralistic things so you didn't wile out like the rest, and so you might look like you're better, but at your core, your nature is you're a sinner. And let's define sin. It is preferring anything above that which is good. And the only thing that which is good is God. It's saying, I'm my own God. Now, you might have been raised by veggie tales, but you were still at one time a child of wrath. You were under his wrath because you rebelled against God. 
We always think, no, it's those people, those, those heroin addicts, those drug addicts, those, those sexually perverse people, those people that just keep sleeping with everybody. Oh, oh, okay, well, I've kind of done those things. How about, let's just go to the tip. It's, Hitler, Hitler's bad. Okay, so if that's your definition of bad, you have to kill six million people in order to be actually evil. Well, okay, you didn't do that. You're awesome. Wrong. Here's what you need to know. The capacity to do everything Hitler did is in you. Oh, I don't like that. Get over it. It's what the Bible teaches. If I put you in the right circumstances at the right time, you have the same capacity to do all the evils of the world. And if you don't, it's because God in his general grace has put you in an environment that didn't bring that out. But I want you to know that's in there. That's you. That's Scott rising, apart from the grace of God. You're a child of wrath. And that, if you're listening, if you're paying attention, and if you're hearing my voice, is horrible news. Horrible news. Terrifying news. And whatever you think about the wrath of God, it's worse than that. It ain't like ACDC's leading the concert down there. We're on a highway to heck. Right? Let's keep it Christian. <laughs> you know, got some little guy dressed up in a little jumpsuit with his little tail and his little horns poking you with a pitchfork. It ain't a party with all your best friends. You can't even imagine it and you don't want to. You enjoy God's kindness, mercy, and grace every day, whether you realize it or not, even if you're a child of wrath. If you woke up today, there's, there's some. If you experience the sun hitting you and your, your little cheeks that are so wanting more vitamin D, there's some. If you've felt the warm embrace of someone who loves you, there's some. If you've seen someone smile at you this morning, there's some. In hell, there's none of that. There's none of that. And that's where every human being made in the image of God would go and deserve to go. But God. But God. It's some of the sweetest words in the, all of the Bible you're about to hear right now. But God. Being rich. <laughs> rich in what? Mercy. Oh, he's so rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Listen. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace. By grace. You didn't do anything to deserve this. It's because God is a God of mercy. It's because God is a God of grace. You have been saved. Have been saved. Not are, are being saved or will be saved. If you're in Christ, you are saved. And because of His grace, He keeps you saved. And because of His grace, He'll make sure you get to the end as a saved person. But it's all grace. And He raised us up, listen to this, with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Pause. In Christ Jesus. You've got to get this, right? So like the moment that you 
Man, you see, like, oh, yeah, I'm so guilty. I'm such a child of wrath. Jesus, you're amazing. You, you are the Savior. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the one I want to follow. I have no hope except that Jesus Christ died to save a sinner like me. I believe that message. Oh, I turn from all these other things that I've been believing because you're true treasure. You're the one I want. He doesn't just forgive your sins, although he forgives your sins. I think so many times we stop there. Oh, I'm going to get to go to heaven and be with my grandpa. Great. Great if Pappy's there. That's wonderful. But you get God. He, he brings you up. He seats you with him. You're in Christ. He's in you. When God now looks upon you as a saved person, he sees a holy person. He sees someone who is covered by the blood of the Lamb, which might sound weird to you. I remember the first time I was in church, they were like talking about being covered in the blood of the Lamb. I'm like, whoa, what's that mean? But what it means is that as far as the east is to the west, God no longer sees your sins. He no longer counts them against you. He sees you as the spotless son or daughter whom he sent his son to die for. And he loves you with an unfathomable love. He loves you. Because of His great love. Because of His great grace. Because of His great mercy. Not because you're lovable. You're not lovable. I'm not lovable. Outside of Christ, I'm a child of wrath. I deserve His wrath. In Christ though, I have forgiveness of sins, yes. But I also have the righteousness of Christ in my account. So that when God looks upon me, He says, that's my son. Oh, and I love him. I died to save him. That's my daughter. Oh, I love her. I died to save her. I adore you. I sing over you. I've done everything to make sure you come home to me. That's why I created you. Now worship me and enjoy me. Not because I need that, but because you need that. You were made for me. I created you for this. I love you. I adore you. And I've done it all. Will you trust me? Will you believe me? Put your faith in me. This is what he's saying. So that, here's the why. I love that phrase in the Bible. In the coming ages. Here's why. Listen, listen to what he says. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable Riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For grace you've been saved. You've been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. No amount of powdered sugar is going to do it. Why? So that no one may boast. That's the root. Here's the fruit. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which, by the way, God prepared for beforehand so that we should walk in them. If you get what he's saying, here's what you hear. I don't do good works to be saved. I do good works because I am saved. I'm new. I'm made alive. I'm in Christ. And therefore, fruits bore from that. False teaching says, do this and be saved. The gospel says, it's finished. Trust me. And good fruit will come. It's the difference. By the way, that's inside out gospel. Right? Comes in, transforms, 
outness comes the goodness. You must be born again. I'm going to finish with this. It's a quote. John Stott said, when false teachers increase, we must multiply the numbers of true teachers. I'm going to say that a different way. We must continue to teach, preach, pound the gospel into your head so that you'll know the gospel. Because when you know the gospel, you'll know when those who come with false teaching, "Mm, that ain't right. That ain't true. So when you come here, expect to hear the gospel preached. Expect to hear the gospel sung. Expect to hear us pray the gospel, teach the gospel, speak the gospel into each other's lives. Why? Because we want a healthy church plant. And a healthy church plant loves and adores Jesus the one who brings good news. He is good news. Amen? Let me just quickly pray, and then let's keep worshiping and adoring this God. We're going to respond. Kevin's going to tell us how to respond. But church, this is how we respond. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have done it all, that you are a God who is full of mercy, full of grace, and full of steadfast love, and you love to save those who are so far from you because that's all there is. You come, you seek, you save sinners. You bring them into your family. You make them new. You call them yours, and you continue to work in and through us for your glory and for our good and for the joy of the city of Greensburg. We ask you do this. We ask you do this, and that through our lives we might magnify the name of Jesus. Amen.